This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello. Hello once again to Julie Hedlund. It's wonderful to have you back on the program. Oh, thank you so much. I could not be happier to be here. Our last interview that we did was so fun and one of my very favorites ever. So thank you. Thank you for having me again. And we had we had insights. We did. That we can continue to discuss. But... I have to remember to say that my name is Mel Rosenberg, and I am the host of the Children's Literature Channel of the New Books Network. And I have a wonderful guest, Julie Hedlund, who is a multi-multi-author, has a new book that came out exactly 16 days ago. And we're going to be focusing on that book, but we'll also talk about life and and your initiatives, particularly 12 by 12, and the other things that you do to promote uh, the children's literature movement. I'm going to call it a movement. It is a movement. That's a great term. So um, so sing me a song, song after song. Tell us all about this incredible book by Julie Hedlund on Julie Andrews. Yes. Uh, first of all, I'll tell you that nobody wants to hear me sing, even though it is a book about a fabulous singer. Uh, I cannot carry a tune to save my life. But the book is, as you said, it's called Song After Song, The Musical Life of Julie Andrews. And it mostly covers how she came to be Julie Andrews in terms of her childhood and how uh, her voice, how she and her family discovered her voice, this incredible voice that she had, which then led her to lead this just outstanding life but there was a lot of hardship in it in the in the early years so she worked very hard at a very young age in extremely difficult times Um, she lived in London with her mother and stepfather during the blitz of World War II and she was separated from her father and her brother who, because her mother had 
divorced um, their fa- their father, and then her mother and stepmother went on to have two two more children, two brothers, and because Julie became so much a sensation across Britain right pretty starting right after the war ended and just accumulated from there uh she became the breadwinner of the family so it, it it's a very interesting story of how she came to be the megastar that she is today okay we're we're waiting for you to show us your beautiful book oh oh okay um i didn't realize that the I knew we were going to be on camera, but I wasn't sure if. Um, well, we are on camera, but uh, uh, many people are going to just hear the uh, podcast. Oh, uh, OK. And they, but they're going to run out and buy the book. But I think that for the viewing audience, I can see your book. Yes, I'm going to actually grab it because I have the arc right here. But it's really worth looking for the for the visual audience. It's really worth looking at the hardcover book because you can see on the cover um, the silhouettes of Julie's characters in the curtains. So it's a it's a picture of young Julie standing in front of a microphone and curtains on either side. And in these curtains, Ilaria Urbanati, who's a fabulous illustrator created these silhouettes of different characters that Julie has played and they're very shiny and on the my back fair, my fair lady Mary Poppins yes Victor Victoria Victor Victoria another great yes um so I love 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 what she what she did here and then if you if you're listening, you'll have to get a copy of the book to see what I'm going to show next. But I was delighted that this book has undies, which is a case cover underneath that is different from the dust jacket. And again, continuing this theme of silhouettes, it's just absolutely beautiful what she did. And uh, for, for those uh, who are listening to the podcast, uh, the the Andes, uh, the uh, real cover shows a young uh, Julie Andrews at a uh, at a uh, lake bank or river bank, and river, um, river bank, and the uh, the uh, reflection in the water is the reflection of Mary Poppins. That's so brilliant, isn't it? I, I mean, it's the young Julie into you know the the star Julie and using the same kind of concept of silhouettes, which is repeated throughout the book. So I'll just show you a couple of threads um, where that happens. So there's a scene here early on where Julie is sent to go live in London with her mother and stepfather. And the illustration shows her sad goodbye with her father and her brother. And then the clouds have this um, kind of looks like an older man taking her by the hand. And I love how there's a little nod to Mary Poppins and Sound of Music because she's carrying a bag, you know, which of course she will again in in her role. So um, Ilaria Urbanati just knocked this one right out of the park. We should have her on the show also, Julie. 
Uh, yeah. One of, one of yeah. my uh, one of my Jew Jewish New Year resolutions is to um, have more illustrators on the show. Oh, because they they bring our books to life. Totally, totally. I'm I'm in awe constantly of what illustrators bring and the depth that they they bring and the emotion. You know, so far every time I've read this book out loud and I do that thing that I just did here where I pull off the dust jacket, you get this collective. <gasps> wow. You know, and I would love, I don't know if Laria is Italian and I don't know if she's reading the book at all, but to, you know, over there. Um, but I hope she gets to experience that. Incredible. So show us a few spreads from the book. Read us a bit. Okay. Don't be, don't be shy, Julie. Okay. I will read the begin. I'll start at the beginning. I'll start at the very beginning, which is a very good. That's place. a very good place to start. <laughs> uh, Julia Elizabeth Wells was born into a melody. Her childhood attuned to the timber of her tiny English village, where she heard music in the rhythm of the river, in the whistle of the wind in the symphony of songbirds. You can see this is her, I, I, I have one of these smart cameras that, mm -hmm. um, but this is the beautiful illustration. And what this is showing is her home village of Walton on Thames, which is where she grew up. And the next page is music surrounded her at home too. Julia's mother played piano, a talent that often took her to faraway places. So it was her father who made the house a home. He whistled, hum, and sang as he cooked, cleaned, and cared for Julia and her brother Johnny. At bedtime, he read stories and recited poetry, and his voice wrapped around the house like a hug. So this is setting up, um, setting up the closeness that she had through her whole life with her father and then I mentioned the next spread um her her leaving and I'll skip to the part where they um during the war in order to kind of keep her busy because her school had shut down her stepfather taught her to sing and in inside this air raid shelter, you know, um, in London. <clears throat> and so this spread says, soon Julie's school closed due to the war. To keep her busy, Ted taught her to sing. They were all astonished to discover that from the sprite of a girl sprang a voice as pure and clear as a cloudless summer sky. And again, you get this, Alaria uh, does this throughout the book, this representation of the beauty of Julie's voice with, you know, flowers and birds and whatnot coming, coming, coming out. And this line, her voice as pure and clear as a cloudless summer sky is what it sounds like to me when she's running up the hill at the beginning of, that's where that line came from. You know, because here she is under a blue sky, but her voice sounds like the sky. And then it goes on. Julie practiced singing every day as she was told, but she found no joy in her gift. 
And this was a very small kind of nod to the fact that there was some tension between her and her stepfather and they, you know, she missed her, she missed her father and Ted was a lot different and kind of um, bombastic and they didn't have, they did not have the best of relationships, Um, but it's a picture book. So you're not going to go into all of that detail. And then I'll read, um, read one more page for now, and then maybe we'll come back to it. But note after note, Julie suffered through her scales while missing her father's warmth and love. Fortunately, Ted turned over her vocal training to famed singer and teacher, Madam Lillian Stiles Allen. Madam combined rigorous instruction with kindness and affection. She taught Julie to imagine placing each note right next to the previous one, like a beautiful string of pearls. And Madam Lillian Stiles Allen was really known as a character. And I think Ilaria did an amazing job of um, the way Julie describes her is like that she had this sort of powder pigeon kind of look, you know, very chesty and always made up with, um, you know, and with a lot of accessories and very loud, you know, jewelry on, you know, rings on every finger and, uh, and so on. And I love that connection because madam really did become like a mother figure for julie well into her 20s really until she came to until she came to the united states it's a really beautiful relationship so and and uh, your book follows julie until when well it follows her until she is 12 no 13 13 years old she was um given a command they called it it was an invitation to sing at the royal command performance and where you know they gather the best of britain every year to perform in front of the royal family and at that time it was king george this post-world war ii this must have been like 1947 maybe um i'd have to look at my at my timeline king king george the sixth the father of elizabeth that's correct and so um but he was sick that night so his wife whose name was also elizabeth uh the queen at that time was in the audience and elizabeth was there with um prince philip who, I mean, they, this was, they were engaged, but they hadn't been married yet. And so in this scene here, you can see the Royal family. Um, And this I think is the princess Elizabeth who would soon become queen. And this was the moment in my opinion, that sort of really launched her into major stardom because it, you know, to be, called to perform but then to also she did both a solo and she led the entire company at the end in god save the king um and so that's that's where i end the childhood story and then in the end it goes on to talk about her 
later career is sort of a series of vignettes. Um, I say Julie's millions of fans found hope, courage, comfort, and courage in her characters. Her performances allowed them, at least for a short time, to transcend their daily troubles. Even after she stopped singing, Julie used her voice to bring people joy, especially children. And down here um, on the next page, I say page after page. So we've gone from note after note, measure after measure, song after song, stage after stage, and then page after page, Julie penned poems and books for children featuring tractors and trucks, fairy princesses, and of course, music. So it does cover her, um, you know, her, her fabulous career, but the emotional climax of the story is her waiting to be called on stage to sing for the queen and then having the audience just erupt in applause and the queen um approached her afterward and said um you you sang you sang very beautifully tonight so well doesn't get better than that for a 12 year old right yeah right so I mean, so, so so julie people are going to wonder you your career um, you've uh, you've had several uh, books published with the uh, wonderful illustrators and uh, and great uh, publishers, um, and uh, you have one about love, and you have one about monkeys, and you have one about underwear, and uh, all of a sudden a biography, um, very lyrical one, but still a biography, a nonfiction. Um, so uh, how did this uh, happen? I, I think I know, but. I want to hear it from you. Yeah, um, it, it is a bit, you know, for I think part of the question that you're getting at here is a lot of authors think about branding, you know, like the types of books that they write. And and so far, I've been completely ineffectual at developing an author brand because <laughs> my books are so very different. <clears throat> but I would say, though, that there is one thing that threads across all of them is a love of words and a lyricism because the troop is a group of monkeys is rhyming couplets with vivid vivid verbs and obviously the whole book is really the love of words in terms of which collective nouns were um, you know, a parliament of owls hoots in the night, a pandemonium of parrots begins to take flight, you know, and when I, when that book was published, I, it really opened a lot of great conversations with kids about some of these complicated words, but then when you see the picture of all these parrots flying in the colors, and then they can sort of understand what pandemonium means, um, and then, my love for you is the sun is also very lyrical and it, it, it too is in rhyme. Um, but you know, it's not, it's, it's a more of a concept book. It's not a story, but it is very, quite lyrical and over bare underwear is where my funny side comes out. Uh, I have a really kind of goofy sense of humor and that one is all wordplay, which is 
a, to me, that's lyricism of a different kind, you know? So if, if, and then of course the biography being had to be lyrical because it's about, you know, a, a beautiful um, singer, actress, performer. So that's one thing, but I think in terms of uh, a th themes, like broader themes, I know that one thing that um, appears in all of my work on a deeper level is connection and a sense of belonging. You know, what is home kind of question. So uh, in, in over bear underwear, this is pretty overt because the bear is trying to become friends with the other characters and, you know, they're making assumptions and exclude him. And it all happens in a funny, very funny, punny kind of way. Um, but I think we're all, we're all looking for our place in the world. You know, um, we all want to be and, and this, even in A Trip is a Group of Monkeys, which is also nonfiction, even though it's written in rhyming couplets, all of the facts in those couplets are true. Um, uh, an ostentation of peacocks, they do parade their plumes, you know? So I, I did, I, I got a taste of the research for that. Um, but in the end, it's a plea to, that we all share this planet you know, and we need to look out for each other and care care for each other, make space for each other. So I think that's an underlying theme. I have, and this is kind of the last thing I'll say about it. I'm, I'm, I think my favorite thing to write is the funny humor with heart. I have two books that are on submission right now that fall into that category. So perhaps fingers crossed if I continue to publish, you know, that'll be kind of my primary thing. But then again, who knows, I've got a proposal out there for a nonfiction picture book. And um, I'm working on one, another one that's like very classic old timey sort of, um, again, you know, much more lyrical feel. So who knows, I, I, I can only write what I can write, if that makes sense. Oh, it makes sense. And there is, a, you have a, a lyric style. Um, and um, I was trying to bring you to tell the story of how this happened. Oh, the Julie Andrews book? Yeah, because, you know, I can write a story about Julie Andrews, but Julie Andrews is not going to read my book on Julie Andrews and say, oh, what a nice book. <laughs> Well, lucky for me, she has read this one and did say, oh, exactly. <laughs> well, so okay. tell us the story, Julie, before I pull it from you. Pull it out of you. Pull it out of me. OK, I thought we were talking, speaking more in abstract terms. Um, yeah. Why this biography kind of out of nowhere? Right. I'm not known for writing picture book biographies. Uh, I don't know if I'll ever write another one. Maybe. I mean, I enjoyed the process, but what the way this came up is um, I have have been a lifelong fan of Julie Andrews, as many people have. Um, and it was very tightly wrapped around family traditions for me. So every Easter, um, we would visit my grandparents. 
And that was the one time of year that the sound of music would come on. I probably wouldn't even be able to count the number of times that I have seen sound of music. And, you know, first of all, it was special going to visit my grandparents because I only saw them a couple times a year. And then inevitably it would be one evening the sound of music would come on. And I, I tell the kids this story too, that in those days you couldn't record things you know, you either watched it or you waited another whole year. You, you watched it or you lost it. Or you lost it, right. And my grandfather insisted on watching the evening news. So that overlapped, you know, with the beginning. So I would be in my grandmother's kitchen on the tiny little TV watching the beginning. And then once the evening news was over, all of us would gather, you know, to the big TV and, and watch it. And it, and so there's a very deep connection that I have between that film and how much I loved it, but also the, the special time with family, you know, we didn't always come together like that. And so, you know, that, stuck with me. And then once I started writing for children, I met Emma Walton Hamilton, who also writes for children. And she and I ended up doing a lot of work together. Um, and for those who don't know, Emma is Julie's daughter. And I started reading picture book biographies. Now this, mind you, is like 11, 12 years ago when picture book biographies were just kind of on the rise, you know? And I couldn't believe that nobody had written one about her mom. And I asked her, why aren't you, why wouldn't you to write, write a, the book? And she said, no, you know, her, her, her autobiographies for adults aside, you know, she doesn't really love to focus her, you know, for her to write a book for children about herself would have to her felt, you know, a little bit too like. And for Emma? She's very, she's very modest. So I said the same thing with Emma, but she, she said that, a lot of her picture book projects she collaborates with her mother on and she also helps her mother she's a co-author of her mom's autobiography so there was just too much so I asked her if she would mind if I took a stab at it <laughs> which is so funny like that was 10 years ago and I because I thought Wow. I mean, Julie Andrews, you know, picture book biography. I mean, this thing is just going to be an instant. Who isn't going to want this book? Ha ha ha. You know, and then I found out that it was uh, going to take a lot. Uh, I had four different versions of this on submission at different times and a lot of interesting feedback. Um so it definitely was not as easy to sell as I thought it would be. But the fortunate thing, one very fortunate thing is because of my friendship with Emma, I was able to ensure that the emotional integrity and the emotional truth was 
was accurate. I think that's one of the most challenging things about writing a biography of somebody is not imposing your own um, ideas about them and what they did onto them, you know, and to stay true to the their own interiority. And it's difficult because you're not that person. And so having Emma at various points go through and, and read the manuscript, and, and Julie did as well, um, not as often as Emma. I owe her like a kidney at some point <laughs> for the the help that she gave me. But um, and then once we got to the point where, OK, this one is going to go on submission now, this version, because like I said, there were four at least different ones. Then she would show it to her mom and we would make like the final whatever final changes. So, yeah, it was fun. And <clears throat> And, uh, and who sold it to a little B? My agent, Ergie Diak. And it was kind of ser very serendipitous because I had just finished um, a revise and resubmit for another editor that I've worked with. And ultimately they declined. Um, but I felt like there was, that I had made quite a, lot of good improvements just in that span of time and right at that moment little b put out a call to you know i guess they contacted agents and said we're looking for by picture book biographies about strong women and ergie sent the pitch and they wanted to see it and then you know the rest so is they said the history so, so Julie, I, I always uh, teach my uh, students that um, inventions and um, uh, books uh, which involve creativity, it's like opening a, a um, combination lock. Um, so you have to be lucky, not just one time, but several times. You have to be in the right place at the right time. Uh, and um, you have to... You have to have the goods. You have to have the beautifully written story, which yours is, or the really good invention. Uh, and that's that's not enough. You still need these turns of the locks. And we don't always know exactly what the numbers are. <laughs> that's totally true. That is such a fantastic so, analogy. Yeah. You, you, your, your book is, is beautifully written. It's beautifully illustrated. Um, well done. Uh, the, the little bit didn't save any money. They they went full out, and it's it's gorgeous. Um, so kudos uh, to them as well. Um, now let's talk about the journey a little bit. Your journey, um, because we've talked about this previously. It's important for me, um, as you know, somebody who has had several careers, to tell authors. Uh, and prospective authors, that it's much more difficult to land a traditional publishing deal than to have an, a scientific paper published in nature or to invent something. Yes. So, so, well, what, yeah. so what, what, what you've done several times is the impossible. It's, the, it's the, your talent, but not only your talent, it's also the turn of the, of the combination locks. And... Um, <clears throat> I'm going to repeat myself because you also have 12 by 12. So you're 
also a successful author, but you're also a successful business person gathering a flock of thousands of writers and prospective writers, um, and they all want the same thing. They all want to be traditionally published. Um, and I have to tell them the odds are a thousand to one against you. Sometimes they're 5,000 to one against you. They might be 3,000 to one against you, but it doesn't matter really. The odds are really, really tiny. And for someone like you to have reached this dam several times puts you in the one in 50,000 or one in 100,000. Um, do we convey this sufficiently to our author community? That's a great question. I, I know I don't because, yes, the odds are against everyone. And by the way, maybe the odds improve a little bit after you publish once, you know, but not. Uh, well, well, hold, hold on. Of course they for, do. The, for the most odds people, no, but for most people, though, even after you publish, the odds are still quite against you right i mean it's hard every single book is difficult to publish there's no doubt about that but I, I, I've, I've discussed this hold on i've discussed this with harold underdown uh-huh. and um who is like for me the uh, the guru and mm-hmm. um i showed him the data and he says okay maybe it's a thousand to one or three thousand to one but if you learn your craft and you write really well you can get up to a hundred to one <laughs> But yeah. it's, it's, it's still one in a hundred. Still, it's still right. And I, so what I would say is I don't uh, communicate the, the difficult odds. I focus what, because with, you know, people, I want people to feel empowered, which they are if they keep working, you know, um, the thousand to one or 3000 to one is like everybody. So that's including the people who decided to write, you know, write down the story that they tell their kid every night, having never read a picture book or to, you know, learned anything about writing. So, you know, if you strip, if you strip that out, anybody who's actually actively working on the craft the odds are better than a thousand to one, right? So, but still one in a hundred is still pretty, pretty. And and at that point, it truly, in my mind, it truly becomes a waiting game where you're not, it's active waiting. You're not sitting there waiting. You're still writing. You're still working. You're still you know, generating ideas and cultivating your creativity and all of those things. But if you really stick with it, then eventually, if it's truly what you want, I do believe that you'll get to use your analogy, the the numbers are all going to click at some point. And I know this because it's been my experience. And, you know, again, even as a published author, it took me eight years to get this Julie Andrews book sold, which I thought was kind of a slam dunk. It was not a yeah, slam e- dunk. Even though, even though it's beautifully written. Right. It's timely. There's a huge market for, for biographies of strong women. 
and you have a name and you have a wonderful agent and it still took 10 years. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But the, the biggest thing is that I truly believed that this book deserved and needed to be published. I knew it and, and I didn't give up on it. I just kept working on it and work. And there were days of despair, believe me, you know, I don't want to make it sound like I was just, but I mean, there were weeks of despair. Uh, it, it would get so close, you know, it went to acquisitions a few times in different houses and then, the, you know, rejections and it was emotionally and, and, you know, the interesting thing about writing a biography, which I learned, um, is you feel the pain of rejection twice because it's the rejection of your story, but it's also the rejection of the person you're writing about. That's what it feels like. It feels like they're rejecting the person that you love enough to have written a book about them. It's not that, right? You have to back up and say, no, it's not that. But but the personal nature of the rejection is almost amplified by the fact that you're writing about somebody you love and then you you love your manuscript and you put all of this work into it. And it's kind of a double whammy. And I wasn't really prepared for that. Um, and, and we have, as, as authors who aren't illustrators, we have another angst. And that is that your work, your oeuvre, doesn't exist without the artwork. Mm -hmm. And until some house um, takes your story and puts the bill mm -hmm. for illustrating it, you're not there. Um, I People are going to criticize me for being so much against the um, self-publishing, but I am very much against self-publishing. I've done it on numerous occasions. And now when I have one traditionally published book out, I can see the difference. The difference is immense. Um, so we have to tell our people to resist this temptation to do the wrong thing, spend thousands of dollars publishing an inferior book and sell 40 copies of it. Um, but I, now because we've talked about all the difficulties, um, let's talk about the um, support you're giving thousands of people. And 12, 12 by 12 is a support group. It is. It's therapy. It's a support group. It's, you know, um, your promotion team. It's your here. We're going to help scrape you off the ground when those days of despair hit. And I think the reason why we have so many members of 12 by 12 who end up getting published is because you need a community who really get what you're doing and who have been through all of the, what you've been through. Because even as a published author, I, I had a whole phase where I was learning, where I queried too soon, where I was querying agents and getting, you know, before I had an agent and 
you know, feeling like, oh, if I could just get an agent, you know, and then getting an agent and realizing that that doesn't mean that you're magically going to have all of your work published. And, and so all of us at whatever stage we're in, like you said, we're, we want the same thing. We want to be published, but even more importantly, we want to reach kids with our books which is becoming so much more important every day in the environment that we're living in with the book banning and um, censorship and what I truly consider to be attacks on children, you know, attacks on children for who they are. It's kind of, um, it's, it's just, it's horrifying to me, but it also, it makes our work all that much more important to have a mechanism to enter the hearts and minds of children at a time when they need it most. And that's always what it's been, but it feels even more urgent today. So for ourselves, we want to be published, but the reason we want to be published is because we have stories that we believe are worthy of children. You know, I definitely believe that Julie Andrews' story is an important one for kids. It may seem old fashioned, she's growing up in World War II and whatnot, but there's also a lesson there about hard work, about responsibility to your family, and ultimately, you know, in the arts to your audience. And I feel like in today's day and age with the Insta celebrity and the YouTube and the TikToking and, you know, all of that, that there's a going, going and looking at somebody who had, who worked very, very hard on both their gift, their talents, their craft, but also to keep the family together, to, you know, help people, to bring joy to people. I think that's just as important today as it ever was. In our previous um, conversation, which was also wonderful, um we started talking about the idea of always feeling here and wanting to be there. Right. And we decided that really we're always there. We just have to decide that we're there. So with this book, are you there, Julie? Have you arrived? You know, that's interesting because to some extent, I think yes. I've be only because this book is so much of my heart and, and so, I so want... you're, you're, you're able to cuddle. Um, you know, um, we haven't spoken. Um, I, uh, I've taken this seriously for seven or eight years, the, the right children's writing. My first book just came out with a traditional house in Israel. And um, I, I go into stores and stand beside my book <laughs> I people are going to think I'm an idiot. I know, but um, so I learned a lot from our previous conversation. You know that you can feel there. 
sure, I want an agent in the States and I want the book to be translated and published in English and Swahili, of course. But what you taught me is to hug what you have. That's right. And you have a marvelous achievement in this book. So before I ask you to either sing or read another passage from your book. I'm not singing. I know what you're going to choose. Um, the, the word that came to my mind during this conversation, and I was hoping that there would be something to take home in addition. And of course, there is. Uh, with you, there always is. And that mm. word oh. is belonging. Yes, yes. So... And it's interesting that you say that, Mel, because that's what I feel I'm striving for. Like it, it comes out uh, in my writing. And on on some subconscious level, I think the the drive to be published is that, you know, you want to get into that club. You want to be one of the 1% of, but the truth is like we already belong because we're here and we're doing the work and we and we care and i've had to really think uh and and embrace the idea that i the judgment so to speak of my success does it does not have to be and will not be how many books i i publish because that's not a fair, um, that's not a fair assessment. And, okay, what, what, what is the fair assessment? I'll tell you what mine is. Tell me. My mission is to write better and better and better. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was just about to say. Like, it's really the, the quality and the passion that you bring to the projects for me. Because I know I'm not going to be the prolific you know, author who has a book or two or however many coming out every year, but answering to, to go back and think about, am I there? It's, it's like, I really do feel yes, that if, and I am still writing, I told you in the beginning, I've got a few projects out on submission right now. And, you know, of course I'm going to keep writing, but if this happened to be the last book that I ever published, that's okay. You know, I, I'm, I feel like I want to, I really want to give myself the gift of just reveling in this achievement after so much work and so much heart and so much, you know, energy. This is, every book is, a, it's life force, you know, like you're really putting your life force into this this piece of art and... and but 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 Julie this goes back to what we were talking so so for years and years um you and I were struggling in a situation where our writing was improving but we weren't there we didn't have a, a publishing deal but your argument last time was that you're always there if you feel that you are accomplishing something that's right and, and but this is the difficult. This is the difficult. This is the difficult because you can invent something wonderful, but if nobody produces it, it's just an invention on paper. It's just a patent. By the way, 
only 1% or probably less of patents become products also. Sure. But I actually am going to I'm going to play devil's advocate on that because I, this is an epiphany that I had while I was working on this very book. And it was I don't know how many years ago now I had a revise and resubmit request and I went to Boulder Creek and I sat it was in fall and it was a beautiful day and I thought I'm just going to take my notebook. I'm not I'm going to get away from my computer and take a copy of the manuscript and a notebook and a pen. And as I was sitting there, I thought, what if this book never gets published? Because I've spent so much, again, life force, energy, creative energy, creative time. What if it didn't get published and nobody ever saw it? So it's like the proverbial of a tree falls in the woods kind of thing. And it hit me then that it, it it's not that it doesn't matter. It's that writing is alchemical. And in all of the work that I put into this book, it changed me. It changed me. It changed how I viewed the world. It changed my, how I approach writing. It changes how I think about creativity. And if it changes you, then it's also changing the world because you're changed. And the way you come to the world is different as a result of it. And all writing is that. Because if we're if we're expressing ourselves versus repressing ourselves, there's no way that that can't be a good thing, whether the book gets published or not. And that it really hit me then for the first time that the joy of creating, if you really allow the joy of creating this piece, because it needs to come from you. You there's something in you that needs to come out. Mm -hmm. It's 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 bound to have positive impact on you, on the world. It doesn't have to necessarily we're, we're very focused on form. You know, we want the form to be, you know, a physical book. But it might take a completely different form that you don't see yet, you mm -hmm. know. Um, and that was the epiphany I had. So I think that it's not that it doesn't exist if it doesn't get published. It just won't be as widely, it, it, it will come out in a different way. And the invention, to going back to your invention, if nobody uses it, yes, but typically those inventions end up getting modified and used and you learn you take what you learn and you put it into the next thing and what results is even better than maybe what your first attempt is okay so like i'm an inventor so we're not gonna uh, this program is about you but but essentially you're you're painting a very uh, rosy picture which i'm going to try to ascribe to um because it's the same inventive process you know inventing something and writing a uh, a children's story. It's essentially the same process um, with the same level of challenge and, and difficulty and, and, and frustration. Um, but if I were in, in my writing process, 
right? You know, we, we get rejected and we get frustrated. Um, if, if, if I were looking at myself, I would say, oh, you know, uh, Mel is really busy writing. It's, it's keeping him out of trouble. It's making him a better person. Um, the problem is for us to be able to see that in ourselves. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like writing therapy, right? I, when I write, it's therapy for me. And probably everybody else can see that except for me. Right. Exactly. Um, and and um, we're running out of time. Uh, this happens whenever you and I talk. Um, and <laughs> That's we'll a good talk about, I think we'll talk about belonging uh, next time. But but certainly uh, when you were talking about your grandfather and about uh, Julie and and about your own career, we all we all want to belong. So congratulations on this gorgeous book. Thank uh, you. Congratulations for what you're doing to help writers a, a journey through this difficult uh, terrain and um you can either sing or read us from your book okay well you know what i'm gonna pick um <laughs> no I, you, you're I, had, gonna I, had, lose. I had no doubt no doubt yeah you're gonna lose i made, your... I made it easy no it's okay um well i'll read the the end because it's not really it's not one of those like oh a surprise ending right um i read this julie's millions of fans found hope comfort and courage in her characters her performances allowed them at least for a short time to transcend their daily troubles even after she stopped singing julie used her voice to bring people joy especially children Stage after stage, Julie brought stories to life for young people. Page after page, Julie penned poems and books for children featuring tractors and trucks, fairy princesses, and of course, music. And then here's the Julie Andrews, born into a melody in a tiny English village, wrapped her voice around the world like a hug. So that's it's so beautiful, Julie. I thank you. And, you know, I just got a little bit of, I, it, I don't know if it's okay to admit, but I got goosebumps, you know, reading, reading that because that's what her, that's what it feels like to me is getting, is that she's wrapping you in a great big giant hug, you know? Um, and it, that of course is also a nod to earlier with her father caring for her and wrapping his voice, wrapping him his voice well, around the house. You, 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 you've done such a good job <laughs> uh, helping people belong. And in this case, bringing us Julie's early life, which we would never have, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Julie Andrews, uh, but um, I, I never, until we started talking, I never knew about her childhood and I started reading and I went on Wikipedia and I read your book several times and loved it. Um, so this, you've brought the world another way for Julie Andrews to belong to us. And I also had goosebumps when you read that section. Oh, that's so lovely. Thank you. I'm going to keep that tucked away in my heart. So good luck with this gorgeous book. Thank um, you. And let's bring, let's get the illustr illustrator on the show. 
I will uh, reach out to, I, I will let my publisher know, the, the PR um, team, that you would love to have her and we'll see if we can make that happen. I would personally Wonderful. love to hear her talk about her process for this book. Me too. So, yeah. So Julie, uh, Julie Hedlund, this has been uh, incredible as always. And uh, we hopefully in this new year uh, will... Uh, yes, happy new year. Thank you. And we'll have several projects uh, cooking. And uh, it's wonderful talking to you. And I can't wait until we bump into each other in Colorado or Tel Aviv. Yes, uh, Tel Aviv may be more likely. My daughter is very enamored. She went there this summer, I told you, and loved it. So um, thank you. Thank you so much for your generosity, for having me back, and just for all that you do to elevate these amazing books for children and the creators who work so hard to make them. I, I love what you do. And and I am and I am in awe of people like you who are able to create these fantastic books. So Julie, thanks so much. Thank you. Thank and, you. Uh, bye everybody. We'll be in touch and bye and run out and buy this beautiful book, Song After Song. The Musical Life of Julie Andrews by Julie Hedlund, illustrated by, I can't Ilaria. Ilaria Urbanati. Wonderful. Published yes. by Little B. Yes. Bye. Thank you.